following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. We're in Matthew 11 this morning. Matthew 11. Please turn there with me. And before we begin, I'm, I'm going to read, or as we begin, I'm going to read the entire chapter, but we'll be spending most of our time in the second half of Matthew 11 this morning. I want to begin reading from verse 1. Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and then for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The precious word of the Lord. Let me pray. Indeed, Lord, these words are precious. You know how precious they have been to me. To us. When I say us, I mean I mean me and you. I mean me getting you, seeing you, enjoying you, resting in you. They are so precious that I tremble now as I seek to preach on them. I tremble because I know my own inadequacies. But I take heart in the words of the song that you indeed are mighty and that might resides with you. And I know that whatever happens in a church service, whatever happens in a church, whatever happens by the preaching of your word is done by your mercy. And I know that it is done because you wield your all-sovereign authority in mercy and in grace. This is who you are. This is what you are up to. Revealing yourself to little children. So I pray this morning, would you make us little children and would you show yourself to us That will be enough. Make us little children and reveal Yourself to us. That will be more than enough. So lead Holy Spirit now, I pray. Amen. From the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Words of wonder, words of grace, words of mercy, And words of tragedy. That's what we have before us today. Words of tragedy and words of mercy and amazing grace. All of God's prophets, His priests, His kings have been, have been pointing to this, this one good way that, that Jeremiah speaks of, this, this path to walk where we would find all that we're actually looking for, all the rest that you and I have longed for all of our lives, every moment of our lives. 
Yet it is the great humanity, the great tragedy of humanity that we as a people, as a race, continually say we will not walk in it. All of God's prophets, all of his priests, all of his kings have been, have been pointing to this good way. And then, and then one last prophet appears, John the Baptist. And he, and he comes and he, he literally points to this way. He says, there, there he is. He, he's right there. All the paths that the prophets and the kings and the priests have been pointing to, all of them weave their way through the, the history of Israel and they find their terminus in Christ. They're all summed up and tied together in Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. He is the prophet who would speak of the way. He's the priest who would go and sacrifice himself for the sins of the people to save them from their sins. He is the king who would make war against the old dominion of sin and death and give life. He would give life by proclaiming the day of the Lord's favor. Where are the paths? Where is the good way? John the Baptist is saying, right there. Right there. There's the way. Follow Him. And the people said, we will not walk in it. That's where we find ourselves this morning in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 16. We we saw last week how John the Baptist doubted and Jesus' gentle exhortation that, that blessed is the one who is not frustrated with how I, the King, am working out my kingdom. Blessed is the one who is not frustrated by that and therefore falls away but who trusts me, who trusts me. The kingdom is coming quietly. Blessed is the one who trusts the king to work out the kingdom as he sees fit. So the problem, the beginning of the chapter is not with John, it's with the attitude of the people. The problem is with their response to John and Jesus. So after years of silence, after centuries of longing, after generations of waiting, here is one last prophet who comes and literally points to the way, the good way, the ancient paths. He's finally here, and yet the people respond to Jesus with, eh, I don't know, look at him. I mean, uh, would Messiah really eat with IRS agents and prostitutes at the same time? I mean, I think he, he actually drinks. You know, he probably has tattoos. I mean, he, look at him. The Messiah, that, that's, not, that's not my picture of, of how Messiah should behave. That's not my picture of how Messiah should be acting, should look like. <clears throat> and yet they respond to John with, eh, I don't know. I don't know about him either. He's kind of extreme, going out of the desert, eating locusts and honey He's a wild man. He's a crazy man. Did you know that some people say he has a demon? I bet you that's true. No, it's too extreme, too crazy for me. The people respond to John and Jesus with, eh, too hot, too cold. No. They respond literally with, meh. And they woke up the next morning and went to work. That's really the sense of the verses 16 through 19 where Jesus compares his generation to to kids who play songs for each other in the marketplace. The kids don't like the first song, a dirge, that's John, or the second song, that's Jesus. Or I guess I got them mixed up. The first one, Jesus, and the second one, John. They don't like either one. (laughs) And yet Jesus says wisdom is justified by her deeds. In other words, God's wise way of bringing about His kingdom 
is, is not attested to by people's opinion of his kingdom. God's wisdom is not attested to by the opinions of man. God's wisdom is attested to by the character and the deeds of John and Jesus, his prophet and his son. They embody God's wisdom independent of fickle mankind. So here, after, after all the centuries of waiting, of building, of moving down the path of God's redemption, God comes in flesh and blood and the people say, Whew. How casually, how subtly does human fickleness lead to destruction? That's Jesus' point in verses 20 through 24. He pronounces woes on the cities where he did most of his mighty works. He pronounces woe on Chorazin and Bethsaida, and especially Capernaum. Not because of their sins, per se. No, no. He pronounces, when we hear the word doom, or excuse me, woe, we need to hear the words doom and sadness. Jesus is not just railing against them. He's also speaking with sadness. Sadness. Doom and sadness because of their response to the light they received. Jesus raised the dead, healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, opened the mouth of a mute, and they yawned. The only right response was repentance. Jesus pronounces woes because they did not repent. Not because of their sins. Because of their sin. Their greatest sin of unbelief of indifference. Then Jesus says something remarkable here. <clears throat> he compares their response with what other cities would have done if they had received the same light, the same revelation. Jesus says that Tyre and Sidon, two godless Phoenician uh, trading shipping centers, they would have repented right away if they had received the same revelation. But they didn't. They didn't receive that same revelation. And even Sodom, wicked, evil Sodom, would have repented and would still be around today, Jesus says, if I had made my base there like I did in Capernaum. Remarkably, here Jesus quotes a, a, a passage from Isaiah 14 that is actually a taunt against Babylon, evil Babylon. He doesn't compare... Babylon to Sodom, he, par he compares Capernaum to Sodom. Why? Woe to them, Jesus says, not because of their sins, because of the brightness of the light that they refused, because of their pride, because of their self-sufficiency. They so blithely rejected it. So Jesus says in verse 24 that the, the torment on the day of judgment that they will experience... Their torment will take into account the opportunities that they received and refused. And that torment will take into account what others would have done had they received the same amount of light. God does not owe us anything. God does not owe Tyre and Sidon anything because we are all a race of sinners. We are all a race of rebels against His kingdom. The only thing that God owes us is justice. Justice for our sins. Condemnation. That's the only thing that He owes us. And in fact, He owes us 
condemnation that is suited to the light that we have rejected. Because he knows what, I don't know, say what Cubans or Sudanese or Chinese would have done if they'd received the same light that we Americans so easily enjoy. Can you see the sobering implications for us as Americans? What, what, what gravity, what depth, what breadth of light, of revelation of God, of the gospel have you and I received in our lives? My goodness, it is sobering to think about this. The problem here is, is not our sins. Our greatest problem is what we do with the light that we're exposed to. That is the problem here. But Jesus intends not just to sober us here. He intends not just to sober us, but but to, to call us gently to receive rest. Rest from the condemnation that we do deserve. Rest from self-sufficiency. Rest from trusting ourselves. So Jesus begins by praying. When we pray, verse 25, when we pray, we, we reveal what we really want. We reveal what we hold most valuable. Jesus the Son begins by praising the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth. That is what He holds most valuable. That is what He wants. He refers to Him as the Lord of heaven and earth to say, You, Father, are sovereign. There is no contingencies to to, to anything that you do. You do all that you please. You are wise. and, And your wisdom is not contingent upon mankind or any other wisdom or opinion. You're not a reed shaken by the wind or weak in any way. You are sovereign over all. And yet... What Jesus stands in awe of most in this prayer, in verse 26, is is how the Father wields that sovereignty, what He does with it. He does it by hiding these things from those who know what they know and revealing them to those who know that they don't. He conceals revelation from the proud and the self-sufficient, and He reveals revelation to the humble, to the dependent. Here we see the great balance of the Bible, that that man is utterly responsible. You and I are utterly responsible. Utterly responsible for our sin and our rejection of light, and yet God is still completely sovereign. He calls and He chooses as He pleases. Both are true. So what are these things? What is Jesus referring to when He says these things, that you you have given these things? It is the significance of Jesus' miracles, how they point to Jesus being the the Messiah. It's the the revelation that the kingdom is dawning, that it is here, albeit quietly. The kingdom is here and it is coming. It is being given ears to hear and a heart to accept that those who are poor in spirit are blessed because they possess the kingdom of God. Being given ears to hear this. So Jesus marvels at the, at the graciousness of God's will. That though He doesn't owe anything, he, he graciously gives to us all that we need. All that He asks of His children, He provides. He's gracious like that. 
amazingly gracious. The, the, the word grace, by the way, means, we could put it this way, God's undeserved favor on wrath-deserving sinners. God's undeserved favor on wrath-deserving sinners. God sovereignly lavishes His grace on wrath-deserving, condemnation-deserving sinners. But He's, he's not doing um, random in that. He follows a pattern. He does it sovereignly. He acts completely independent of everything, and yet he's following a pattern. He reveals his grace. He lavishes his grace on the humble, to those who don't know the way, to those who are tired and weary, who can't do it themselves. But he does this revealing through an agent, verse 27, his own son, Jesus. Jesus says in verse 27 that all things have been handed over to me by my Father. So all things here must mean everything that Jesus was just referring to, but also the authority to make them known, the authority to choose. So God the Father gives God the Son all His authority to reveal these things, to reveal the gospel. But then Jesus quickly moves from, from these things, the good news, to knowing God, to knowing the Father and knowing the Son. The, the Father and the Son, they, they know each other. They know each other's wishes, each other's wisdom, their character. They are in perfect agreement, perfect fellowship, perfect rest. It is a, a singular, self-contained sphere of, of glory and of, of divine pleasure. Perfect joy. Pure rest between the Father and the Son. Perfect agreement. Perfect stability. Perfect security. The place of perfect rest. And so Jesus takes that authority that He has received from the Father and He reveals he reveals God to undeserving sinners. He reveals the way into this, this self-contained sphere of perfect rest and He gives them access to it. The Son is given this authority and He does it according to His own choosing, according to His own will, in agreement with the Father's will. So he gives this call to everyone, to, to all who labor under their own sin, under their own guilt, to all who are wearied by, by seeking reward and rest on their own strength. He says to the weary, to the burdened, come and I will give you rest. People don't earn rest, they're given it. Jesus does not just offer a, a moment of rest. He offers a vast sea of rest. Rest upon rest upon rest as, as He calls us to take His yoke upon us and, and to learn from Him. And as we learn, Jesus says, we will find rest. The yoke was placed on animals to, to plow, to pull a heavy load down a straight line. But Jesus says that His yoke is easy and the burden is light. The, the, the word for easy here has the sense of being made suitable. Being made suitable for the bearer, which we'll come back to. 
But Jesus is calling everyone to lay down their yoke of a, of a rules-based, self-centered righteousness, of a self-centered existence that only leads to futility and in the end, condemnation. Jesus is saying, leave that, put it down. Take up my yoke and you will find rest. So we're called to trust Him. We're, we're called to take Him at His word because He is gentle and lowly in heart. Because He has been given all authority and He wields it with utter gentleness. The amazing paradox about Jesus is that He is the great King and He is the humble, gentle servant of souls. So in verse 29, Jesus alludes to that, that call by God in Jeremiah 6 to, to stand by the roads and to look and to ask to ask for the ancient paths, to ask God, where, the, where is the good way? Where is it? And to walk in it. And so find rest for your souls. While all the ancient paths lead right here. Right here. Trusting Christ. To coming to Christ, to walking in His yoke and learning from the gentle revealer of rest. We can summarize this, this entire passage this way. That proud indifference leads to just condemnation from Christ. But Christ gently reveals to the humbly dependent soul-satisfying rest. Say that again. Proud indifference leads to just condemnation from Christ, but Christ gently reveals to the humbly dependent soul satisfying rest. But how does one go from being proudly indifferent to, to, to humbly dependent? How does that happen? Well, actually, God does this. God does this in a most unexpected way, and it's, and it's one of the reasons why Jesus revels and, and marvels at His wisdom. So our first point this morning is this. God conceals in judgment and reveals in mercy that we might see our need of Him and repent. God conceals in judgment and reveals in mercy that we might see our need of Him and repent. So now, you remember John the Baptist was looking for judgment, final judgment, the cleaning of the threshing floor. And Jesus said, it's coming, but not yet. But he didn't say that God was, was not working in judgment. Remember, the kingdom is coming quietly. And God is working actually right now in judgment. And His judgment in this period of redemption history is largely the concealing of Christ. God conceals. God actively conceals the good news from the proud, from the self-sufficient, from those who think they know everything, from those who know that they already know everything and don't need to listen. This concealing is His judgment. But there is something else happening in this judgment. Something merciful. Something marvelous. As people become fickle and, and indifferent to His call, he, he turns them over to their desires, to, to what they want. Romans 1. 
He turns them over to what they think they need and He allows them to experience some of the condemnations, a taste of the ultimate futility that they will experience at the end. And the purpose of this this taste is to lead them to repentance. That's what Paul says in Romans 2, that God's mercy is meant to lead us to repentance. Well, where's the mercy? Well, it's because God is always and forever restraining His wrath, restraining that condemnation and that punishment right now, though He pours it out. He pours it out on wrath-deserving sinners, and yet He restrains Himself in mercy that that it might lead wrath-deserving sinners to repentance. So God is actually concealing in judgment and yet doing it in mercy that He might reveal to us the real way to life. Isn't God marvelous in His wisdom? This is why Jesus just stands in awe of His own Father. something. Why do you and I go through the same cycles? Do you have cycles? Of course you do. You're human. <laughs> why, well, why does that happen? I mean, partially it's because you're you and I'm me and we each have our own predilections. Our each, our, our, our each, each of us have our gravitational pulls that pull us in certain directions. But part of it is because we are filled with much more fickle indifference to God than we realize. It is fickle indifference to God that, that responds to that, that grief and, and, and the pain and that taste of the future condemnation. It, it is fickle indifference to God that, that responds to this with, with doubling down on our own self-sufficiency and trying harder to make it all right on our own strength. And we, we respond to that ouch with more of us. And the, 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 one, the, the one little bit here turns into a vicious spiral, a death spiral, if you will. We try to make it on our own intuition, try to, try to make ourselves right again on our own strength. We respond to sin with more sin, and we double down on ourselves, and the cycle repeats. The cycle repeats. And all the while we are indifferent to God's call to repent. To repent, to repent, to repent. At any and every point in that cycle, the only way to exit it is by repentance. By repentance. I must say that one of the the, the watershed moments in in my life came about 15 years ago when our youth pastor in Colorado Springs became the senior pastor. Uh, Lance is similar in age to me. And um, God, through His Word, brought about in me a conviction that has led to a sea change in my life. It would take me months Years, maybe forever, to recount to you the blessings that have come from this little quiet moment of my soul. And I share it with you because I hope, I, I have prayed this week, Lord, give me love for the people. And, and I pray that God would do the same in you that He has done in me. Because I, I came to the realization that, that while I wanted to be Lance's buddy, I wanted to, to laugh and be chums with him. 
I wanted to go to church and be seen as going to church. I wanted to be seen as a leader, perhaps, to be knowledgeable in the Bible. I went to a Christian college. I thought I knew everything already. Yeah, Lance was new and his sermons were a little stiff, a little academic. Didn't share many stories. Uh, And the conviction was that I was proudly resisting the messages when he preached. I wasn't listening. I was listening, but I wasn't listening. I was being fickle. Ah, he's my age. Too dry. Too stuffy. Too academic. Too structured. Too too few stories. But what I realized and what God graciously showed me is that it actually had nothing to do with Lance. That I was resisting God. That God was shining the light of His gospel into my life Sunday after Sunday. And I was... I was doing this to God. To the sovereign Lord of all creation. He was being gracious to me. Merciful merciful to me Sunday after Sunday. And... I wasn't actually hearing God's words. I was indifferent. And I was indifferent because, you know what? God was really about me. Uh, God was most glorious to me when He elevated and took care of me. That's when God was great. I, I really felt like praising Him when I got what I wanted. I didn't see God for being who He actually is. And that is good and glorious in and of Himself. Independent of me. Independent of my opinions or my wisdom or whatever I think. The ground of God's loveliness did not begin with God, but it began with me. So to to put it in the words of John Piper, I was willing to be God-centered as long as God was Jed-centered. I was, uh, I was going to church in a very adult-like manner. Not like a child. So I had to repent. N- not to some superficial loyalty to a pastor. That's, that's not what I mean. Because it actually had nothing to do with Lance. It has nothing to do with Pastor Steve or Pastor Kurt or me. It was about humbling myself before God and by just as a child like a child acknowledging that I needed Him and Him alone. I needed Him above all things. And and I had to pray, Lord, I have no idea what this means. I have no idea what You want to teach me because I realize how much I don't know. But I know I need You. It meant coming to Him and submitting to Him and simply listening to Him like a child. So brothers and sisters, you don't have to be the worst sinner to deserve God's utter, custom-suited condemnation. 
You don't have to be a citizen of Sodom to invite the condemnation of God. You just need to sit in church every week, praise God with your mouth and with your hands, and be fickle and refuse to humble yourself. So I pray, I pray that God would give you this repentance out of love for you. I share this with you out of love for you, because it's in God's Word here, and, and out of love for you. So please, don't, Repent of, of, of nodding your head, yes, yes, and refusing to repent. Because I, t- I tell you what, you and I have been exposed to a lot of light under Steve's preaching. <laughs> we have heard the gospel. The question is, what are we doing with it? As a people, as individuals, what are we doing with it? Is it leading to repentance or not? I just the call is simple come to him like a child come to him like a child friend brother sister ready to hear him I I, I don't say that I'm perfect by no means <laughs> but I, I I wish I had the time to tell you the, the freedom the blessing how how the Bible began to jump off the page how it began to, to taste like sweet nectar to me. And how God became increasingly more and more glorious. Literally beautiful to me. God became beautiful to me. After this point. Through His Word. Through the preaching of His Word. And it gave me rest. Rest like I'd never known. Which, which leads us to the second point. <clears throat> Excuse me. Christ teaches the humble the glories of God and so gives them rest in Him as they follow Him wherever He leads. Say that again. Christ teaches the humble the glories of God and so gives them rest in Him as they follow Him wherever He leads. Yes, there is rest in Christ. There is rest. Rest from the forgiveness of all your sins. I said all your sins. Rest. Relief from condemnation for all your sins. Rest from the shame of all your sins. Rest from the regret Rest from all regret, from all your sins. <laughs> Rest. I have to ask you have, have you, have you experienced this? Do, do, you, do you know this? I don't mean can you talk about it. I mean, have you experienced this? I, I can still remember thinking, I, I think the sky is bluer when, when I experienced this. When, when, when I knew that I was forgiven. <sighs> I remember feeling free. Rest. Do you know what it's like to take all your guilt and shame for all of your sins and to lay it down at the feet of Christ and then to see Him pick them back up again and put them on His back and go to Golgotha and die on the cross for you to take them all upon Himself because that's what He did. That's where this freedom comes from. At the cross. 
Jesus goes before us, the gentle servant of our souls, doing the very thing you and I could never do, that we will never be sufficient for, never be suitable for. He does it. Rest. Hmm. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. It matters not what your sins are, friend. It matters not the depth of your guilt or the weight of your shame. It matters not if you're the citizen of Sodom or the citizen of, of Capernaum. Come to Him. Come to Him. Come to Him. So I, I say, as the emissary of the King Himself, who has been called to preach this to you today, I say, come to Him. Leave your regret behind. Leave your shame behind and rest. And you will receive rest upon rest. Because as Jesus says here, as we come to Him, as we submit to His yoke, He teaches us and along the way we find rest. We get rest and we find rest. And this is where I... It's just, it's just beautiful truths. God, God help us here. Understand these. Because what Jesus does is He, he teaches us all of, of the beauties and the glories of God Himself. He brings us into that self-contained sphere of perfect rest, perfect, perfect sanctuary, perfect fellowship, perfect agreement. And, and He reveals to us the Father out of that same awe of the Father. Jesus teaches us along the way. If we will but listen. So along the way, He reveals God to us and we see these glories more and more deeply. And, and, and as we do, as we behold God, Jesus is doing something else by doing this. As, as we behold God, as He reveals to us God gently along the way, He is also putting to death that in you and that in me that keeps us from, from seeking God, that keeps us from taking rest in God. He's putting to death that which in you that will lead to futility and condemnation. He is being gracious to us. He is loving our souls by showing us the Father, by causing us to behold Him and find Him as beautiful. As He shows us the Father, He is putting to death our, our resting and our finding significance in ourselves. God is merciful and He is loving to do this. He does it because He loves us. But there is more to this, this finding rest business. It, again, it has to do with why in verse 27 Jesus can turn from from the gospel so quickly to knowing God, to, to knowing the Father and knowing the Son. And we've already touched on it. But Jesus does this. Jesus, Jesus effortlessly turns from thanking God for giving Him the good news to preach to knowing God the Father because, to borrow Piper's phrase, God is the gospel. God is not just the source of everything good. He is everything good. 
He is that which we should want, that which gives life. He is pure acceptance, pure love, pure stability, pure security, pure rest. And by His agent, His Son, the Lord Jesus, He welcomes us into that sphere where all of those things are found. And we find rest. To know God is to know rest. That's the central point of the entire passage. It's, it's not first the verses about us. The central point in the passage is Christ's awe and enjoyment and divine pleasure in the Father. And the Father's divine pleasure in the Son and the fact that Christ brings us into this blessed place. And it is about the sovereign grace of a God that, that calls undeserving sinners to enjoy this pleasure. To enjoy this knowing. To know God is to have rest. So Jesus calls out to us to, to come to Him the gentle revealer of this good God. Of the one who, again, is not just the source of good things, but who is the good thing. The point is not to come to Him to get what we want. And yet, when we, when we place ourselves under Christ's yoke, this King who is, who is paradoxically gentle and, and humble, he, he comes alongside us and He serves us. And He serves us by teaching us. And what does He teach us? He teaches us the glories of the Father. The glorious beauties of God Himself. To behold God is to find rest. To behold God is to, to find unspeakable rest. So the yoke is easy and the burden is light because this gentle king is sovereign. He is sovereign in your life and he is constantly, always, in every moment, suiting the yoke for you. And he is suiting this yoke that you carry so that you might more clearly see God the Father. Sometimes that's by saying yes to our prayers. Sometimes that's by saying no. But either way, it is always to give us that which is best. God Himself. He is serving us. Do you see that? The Lord Jesus is serving you. He is working alongside you for your joy. For your joy. And your joy is found in one place and one place only in God Himself. So he wants to show him to you. So this is how this is how husbands give up their rights and, and sacrificially love their wives. This is how those trapped in secret sins bring them out into the light and confess. This is how Christians go to the lions singing. This is how once self-loving, fickle sinners take up their cross, die to themselves, and find that burden, light. By 
listening to this, this gentle revealer who, who shows us more and more the, the, the glories and the, and the beauties of God. As we, as we behold more and more of Him, we want less and less of the things that used to, to lead us to futility and utter condemnation. You know, sometimes it's not, it's not what we say in prayer that matters. It's where our eyes go. It's to whom we look. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I find myself churning, even obsessing about something that I fear. And I pray. I, I pray. But, but my, eyes, my, my eyes are fixed on the thing that I fear in me. And I dart back and forth like a ping pong match. Praying, praying the whole time. Praying, praying, praying. And yet the, the gentle revealer of God, the, the humble servant of my soul, all the while is saying, no, stop. Stop and look here. Look here. L- look into my character. Look into my character. Look to me, the, the, the gentle, humble servant of your soul. The one who is sovereign over you and who is constantly pointing you to the thing that you most need that will bring you joy. Look here. So it is in those times that I realize how much of me still gets in the way of seeing God. I I want to see Him more clearly. I want to enjoy Him. But I've got so many thorn bushes called me in the way. But I see Christ and, and I see how He is working alongside me for my joy. And so disciplined discipleship, taking up this yoke in a, in a disciplined life that involves hard work, it's no longer a drudgery. It's no longer work. It is light. It is light because now I see that I am cooperating with Him in His work, work of producing joy in me. Now I, now I join with the gentle master in killing the very things that once promised joy but would only lead to condemnation. The things that, that promised rest and only robbed me of sleep. I now join with him in his work, his loving work in me. So now, I, now I'm free and you are free to become a stronger follower of Christ. Not to impress anyone else but so that we can make better war against the the thieves of rest in our soul. We we can strive to be holy. We are free to strive to be holy, not to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, but so that we'll have a closer view, a, a, a closer seat to God Himself from which to behold Him more clearly. We now can can work Work hard to gain wisdom, not to impress our friends, not to show how much we know, but so that we can better hear the Master's teaching, so that we can more ably apply what He's teaching us as He reveals to us the Father. And we can begin to love each other. We can love each other not because of a should, not because out of, out of drudgery or empty obligation, but because we want to work alongside others for their joy just as Christ has done in us 
so humbly, so gently, so sovereignly, so perfectly, so faithfully. We are free to love out of love. (laughs) And in all of this, Christ is only suiting us up for the real rest. He's only preparing us for the true and abiding eternal rest to come when Christ will descend from the clouds and we will meet Him in the air and see Him face to face and we will experience rest like we had never known. What a day that will be. A day not of judgment, but when He comes to us in infinite, merciful acceptance. Christian, He comes to you with a smile on His face. He comes for you. And He works in your life now. He works alongside you for your joy that you may see the Father now. That you may receive tastes not of judgment, but of heaven. But of eternal joy. That's what He is up to. Out of mercy and out of grace. So I, the call today is quite simple. Will you come to Him? Will you humble yourself like a child? And will you take up his yoke? Will you follow him? And will you listen? Will you listen? Will you allow him to show you the Father? Will you allow him to show you God? And find your very soul satiated by beholding him. Will you come to Him? Will you listen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank you for your work in us. Thank you for rescuing us from our hell-bent, careening down paths defined by ourselves. Thank you for rescuing us from condemnation. Thank you for choosing, for giving repentance, for giving faith, for revealing yourself. You are the gentle revealer, the magnificently humble servant of our souls. So I pray, I pray for myself, I pray for my, my brothers and sisters here. Would you show us God? Would you reveal to us Him? Would you make our faces radiant as we gaze upon your glory? Would you do that now? Would you do that in us? And as the world sees you reflected in us, would you get much glory 
Would you cause us to rejoice in you getting much glory? And thus a new cycle would begin. A new cycle of wonder and awe and joy and rest. Oh Lord, You are the one with the might. And we look to You for mercy. We praise You for Your grace. We praise You for You. May Your name forever be praised in us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.